Welcome to The Burn, Beyond Firestop. I'm your host, John Zlepka. Our show, if you're not aware, is focused on life safety, which puts me on a mission to find the most interesting people in this space to get their unique perspective. Our hope is that our listening audience walks away with an understanding of how our guests and their businesses also contribute to the promotion of life safety of whatever is being built. Our show is brought to you by Specified Technologies, also known as STI Firestop. And since 1990, STI has been a leading global provider of innovative fire protective solutions that help stop the spread of fire, smoke, and hot gases. And our guest today is very knowledgeable on such topics. Sean DeCrane is retired as a 25 plus year veteran of the Cleveland Fire Department, Division of Fire. He also served in various roles, Director of Training, Chief of Operations, he retired as battalion chief covering Cleveland's west side, and he's currently the manager of industry relations for Underwriters Laboratories Building Life Safety Security Technologies Division. We'll get into all of that, but welcome, Sean. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Uh, it's nice to be here. Um, I always appreciate the friends at STI, Charbel and Jimmy, and uh, so I'm happy to be here. Well, Sean, I always like to start on a personal note rather than jumping into the business of the whole thing. So I want to take you back to when you were a little kid running around your neighborhood. Where'd you grow up, actually? Uh, Fairview Park, Ohio. It's just outside of Cleveland. Okay. All right. So when you were running around it's your neighborhood. It's actually a mile from where I live, two miles from where I live right now. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I, I haven't gone far from where I grew up either. I grew <laughs> up in Mattawan, New Jersey. I live in Freehold now. So... Yeah, same kind of thing. But, you know, the older that I get, I find that people generally don't do what they set out to do when they were a little kid. I mean, I know I wanted to be a fireman at one point, a policeman, a farmer, uh, NFL football player at different points in my life, none of which panned out. Uh, but were you one of the few that actually wanted to be a fireman that actually did it? Or did you have a different career in mind? No, actually, from as well, I wanted to be a gas station attendant when I was really little. I remember being with my grandfather and going, wow, they have a cool uniform and they wipe the window shields and everything. But that quickly evolved into wanting to be a firefighter. And uh, the fire service was in our family. Uh, my grandfather's cousin actually was on the Cleveland Fire Department and he was actually killed in the line of duty in 1972. And then uh, my uncle Jimmy, who uh, is my grandfather or my brother, my dad's cousin, I, I would guess. Uh, he was a firefighter in the community I grew up in. So every parade, uh, there was Uncle Jimmy on the fire truck. And when my sister Colleen got stuck at the top of the tree, there was Uncle Jimmy with the fire truck. You know, if anything happened, there was Uncle Jimmy. And so, uh, you know, I, I grew up idolizing my Uncle Jim and uh, I wanted to be like him. And, uh, you know, and, and the dream came true. And it, you know, it's funny. I see him now. He's obviously retired, but uh, he's like, wait a minute. I'm to blame for you being in the fire service. So <laughs> That's funny. So Uncle Jim got Colleen out of the tree. You usually hear of the, of the cat. Colleen really got stuck up in the tree. Well, Uncle Jim stepped back, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> with the other guys, how to get her down from the tree, I think, if I recall uh, delegation. I love it. Uh, so how did you finally get involved? I mean, was it uh, right out of school? You were like, I'm, I'm going to be a fireman. I know where I grew up, it was mostly volunteers. So I didn't even know that, that was like a, a paid position until, you know, I started becoming a little more worldly, if you could say. Yeah, here in Ohio, especially the Cleveland area, everything's a career department. Uh, you know, I took a circuitous route, I think. Um, you know, I, I 
when I graduated from high school, college wasn't an option with the family situation. So I went right into working and I was playing rugby at the time. And a number of guys I was playing rugby with uh, started getting on the fire department. And actually, uh, one of my buddies who was on the fire department, he said, OK, and he slapped me upside the head and he said, I'm taking you down to City Hall. You're signing up for the test now. You've always talked about it. You're going to do it. And uh, so he did. And uh, I did. And then the day the list was posted, actually, because it's a competitive test. It's civil service. And when I took it, there were probably three to 5,000 people that took it. We had to take it down at the Cleveland Convention Center. And when the list was posted, you know, he was the first one. I was bartending at the time. So he burst in through the door <laughs> some godly hour in the morning and grabbed me. We drove downtown and we looked at the placement on the list. And lo and behold, you know, I, I was lucky enough to get on. That's awesome. So, I mean, you, you made a career out of it, clearly. Uh, you, you moved up through the ranks, uh, battalion chief and things like that. And you mentioned that your uncle burst through the doors to, to let you know about it. So uh, someone told me to ask you about a free beer and dinner and how you kind of got involved in the whole passive fire protection. So that was an awesome segue. I really appreciate that, Sean. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you take me through kind of how, you know, the importance of what fire stop means to you and kind of like preventing that fire from getting behind you? Sure. Uh, you know, it is a funny story. My whole career, I've been I've been very blessed. Uh, the Cleveland Fire Department was, was very good to me. Uh, I really, really enjoyed my 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 job. I, I just enjoyed being there and serving. And I became very involved and I was the secretary of our local. And a friend of mine who worked or still works for a competitor of STI, uh, you know, in the Cleveland area, he came to rugby practice and he said, hey, listen, um, you know, we have a trade association and we're looking to pick the brain of a firefighter. And, you know, what kind of training are they looking for? How can we help them and educate them on the importance of passive protection? Because everyone understands, I think, the importance of an active protection system with sprinklers. And we don't think so much about the passive protection and the containment uh, qualities of it. So. We were in negotiations at the time, and I, I told Steve, I said, ah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of busy. We have negotiations. And he said, uh, well, the meeting's in Key West. And I said, funny, the, the calendar seems to be clearing a little bit, Steve. And um, he then said, well, uh, we'll pay all your expenses. And I said, well, what about the bar tab? And I think he realized that the bar tab would be equal to or greater than the airfare. And he he gave it a second thought. And he goes, yeah, yeah, we'll cover it. So uh, I did. I, I flew down to Key West and I joined the, the Fire Stop, the International Fire Stop Council's meeting. And I sat in on their educational work group. And we were talking about the training. We were talking about the importance of training and maybe some avenues to get to the fire service. And uh, during a break, two members of the Fire Stop Council, John Valulis and Richard Lick, uh, came up to me and started talking to me about codes. And while the fire services, you know, we're very involved in multiple aspects of fire prevention and fire training, uh, doing inspections, public education, obviously suppression and response. We have a bureau that really does all of the inspections and, and focuses on it. We do inspections at the company level, but they do the more in-depth stuff. So I never really served in the fire prevention role. But they started talking to me about the codes and 
they started highlighting some of the changes, the recent changes that we've seen in the codes and how it might affect the fire service. So I listened and I was intrigued and I didn't know much about the codes. And then John said to me, he goes, well, you know what? There's a code hearing in Ohio coming up. Why don't you go to that code hearing and just take it in? I dare you to go to that code hearing. <laughs> and then he double dog dared me. And, uh -oh. Uh -oh. So, and now you, you know, got Christmas it, story being filmed partly in Cleveland, the double dog dare, you got to. <laughs> I said, you know, John, Ohio's like plumbing. Cleveland's up here. Cincinnati's down here. And, but I, I went and uh, it was it was very, very interesting. Um, what I saw were that I saw a lot of people that were committed to not only fire safety, but safety in general. But I also saw a number of people at the microphone that were speaking to the goals of the fire service, what our tactics were, what our tactical priorities were, uh, what our concerns were, what our levels of risk were. And it was very obvious to me why many of these speakers were well-intended, that none of them had served on the fire department, none of them had ridden an apparatus, and none of them had crawled down a dark hallway. And so I followed that up with a, attending a code technology committee meeting in, in Chicago. And during that discussion, the, the topic of acceptable losses came up. And as I listened to the debate going back and forth, I finally put my hand up in the committee chair. I was a captain at the time. He goes, Captain, uh, do you have a question? I said, we're talking about acceptable losses in occupied buildings, aren't we? And you could see a little bit of unease. And he said, well, yes, yes, we are. And I said, what about us? We are going in for those acceptable losses. He said, oh, we love the fire service. It says it right in the intent of the code. And I really had to start thinking about it that, you know what? It wasn't the responsibility of the individuals in that room or on that dais to think of the firefighting aspects and what our responsibilities are, what our needs are. That's our responsibility. As, as a firefighter. So I wrote a, a lengthy six page letter to the IFF saying this is why we have to get involved and gave some some pointers and some examples. And they said, uh, congratulations, you just volunteered. <laughs> and I said, well, so uh, I jumped in with both feet, but it all started with that free beer and a dare. And uh, it really it really highlighted the importance of our work environment. And I talked to the fire service a lot of times about improving their work environment. And some will think I'm talking about the station and improving the fire station or living conditions in the fire station. Why that's important, really, if we want to impact that firefighter's work environment, we have to be involved in the process of how they're designed, built, and maintained. And that's, that's our building and fire codes. And, you know, we can fixate on one form of protection, such as active, but we, in the fire service, we don't put all our protection eggs in one basket. Our yeah. breathing apparatus has multiple alarms to tell us when we're running out of air. And so we, we want a balanced approach to protection also. Yeah, balanced approach. We actually talk about that a lot when we do trainings at STI, talking about safety layering, that active suppression also backed up by that passive protection. So uh, that's awesome that you got involved in that. Is that sort of how you got into the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute. Is that kind of where that came from as well? Actually, yes. Um, in August 13, 2006 in Green Bay, Wisconsin, as I was working with the IFF, trying to get them more involved or interested in the codes, an event occurred in Green Bay where two 
uh, two firefighters were involved in a collapse in a single family home. And the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, if there's a firefighter fatality in the line of duty, will come in and do an investigation. They issue a report that looks at contributing factors and some recommendations moving forward. It's a public report. It doesn't identify blame or lay blame, but it gives some recommendations. And one of the recommendations was to modify the building codes to require the protection of truss floor systems on the top and bottom to try to prevent this collapse from occurring again. So at the IFF, we said, what a novel idea. Let's take a recommendation from a NIOSH fatality report, try to make it reality. So I submitted a code change uh, you know, proposal to require a 30-minute barrier in a residential occupancy. Uh, yeah, that didn't go over so well. You know, if you think about a 30-minute rated floor in a single-family home, uh, so... But it really started the discussion because the committee rejected it and the committee rejected it on some flawed reasoning. But one of the points that they made was there wasn't the substantiation through research or documentation to demonstrate the early collapse that we were seeing anecdotally, but that we could demonstrate, you know, through the testing and research that these engineered systems were failing under fire conditions at such an early time period within the fire. What uh, ironically, what was occurring at that time is the assistance to firefighter grant under the DHS and FEMA had just come into existence where they were making money available to organizations to conduct research for firefighter safety. And UL had just received the first round of an AFG grant, and they were looking at the performance of lightweight floor systems under fire conditions. So while we were trying to get this code change accepted into the codes, UL was conducting this research. And uh, why we weren't successful in that first go around, as we were going into the second second opportunity to submit a code change, uh, we took out the 30-minute rating. Um, we looked for 5.8's gypsum board. UL published their report that definitively showed the early collapse. And so UL reached out to me, representing the fire service, invited me to start having discussions with them, and then also builders. Uh, realtors, the wood industry, and it really just started a partnership uh, moving forward. And I found myself more and more involved in different research projects at UL. And then in 2008, UL kind of informally established a fire service advisory group. And then in 2011, they formally established a firefighter safety research institute. It's led by Dr. Stephen Kerber. And uh so I'm still one of the advisory board members of that group. Yeah, I was going to ask if you're still involved with codes and oh, standards. That's and I'm in the office right now <laughs> at, at FSRI. So. so how have you seen things change over the years? I mean, where, where are codes headed? Or, I mean, are, is there anything crazy? Or, I mean, it, does it really take disaster sometimes to, like, move things forward? Well, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, it takes disaster. We've made a lot of changes based on the collapse of the towers in the NIST, subsequent NIST report. I think we reset some, some items that were important to the fire service, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but certainly could be relevant 10 years from now when that building is under duress. Uh, I think it's, a you know, the codes are living documents. They're constantly open for modification. You're on a three-year cycle and sometimes it's easy to get fixed on a national level. And, okay, I've got, we're working on the 2024 editions now. I'll sit on the Residential Code Development Committee next year. 
Uh, we're about to go into discussions for the building and fire code and some other codes this month, right? I, I think this coming week, actually, it starts the code hearings. So I think it, it's important to be vigilant that we have to see some of the advances or continue to monitor the advances that we've made. I know when we got the lightweight protection into the code, we actually worked with the home builders to accomplish that. Once we had the data, once we could show them the concern and the resulting collapse, the home builders really were, were a pleasure to work with. Um, so, you know, they're not blind to when you can produce data, but there were others that wanted to remove it out because they didn't feel it was after it was important. So you have to keep your, your participation level going. And not just at the national level, I think it's important that we educate folks that they have to be involved at the state level too, where the codes actually are reviewed and adopted and sometimes piecemeal. Yeah. So, you you know, you have to be vigilant at, at all levels. And it's, it's like I said, I think it's important for the fire service and the building officials to be involved in that development because they're representing the public in that process. Yeah, it is uh, very important to have those codes and standards in place and then to have the third party testing facilities like a UL uh, to be mm -hmm. able to, you know, enforce that. So. I guess let, let's jump over to UL now, I guess, because that's sure. what you're doing these days, you know, um, and for people that don't know, UL is a global independent safety science company with more than a century of expertise, innovating safety solutions. I, I got that from their website. I was going to so say, I was on, it's efficient sounding. <laughs> <laughs> and I was on your LinkedIn profile just to get a feel for some of your dates. And it looks like, you know, after spending the better part of your career in Cleveland, uh, you decide, did you decide to like take your talents to UL, like when LeBron went to South Beach or was it more like a Gronkowski like thing? And UL was like Tom Brady calling you out of retirement. Well, uh, you know, there's a point in your career where you start to see that, uh, you know, maybe it's time for another challenge. And I was reaching that point in Cleveland where you know, I was looking for another challenge and not that the fire service isn't challenging every day. Right. Uh, but, you know, there was an there was the interest of, you know, having a bigger footprint, is, I, I guess, is the best way to put it, being involved at an international level. And it just so happened at the time, Chris Hasbrook at UL, who's the vice president, we're the built environment now. We're no longer building life safety, security and technologies. We're the built environment. But uh, I had built a very good relationship with Chris over the years from the fire service perspective. And they were kind of looking for someone to come on board that would uh, build on that reach out to the fire service, not just here in the U.S. or North America, but really our interest is globally and working with the fire service on a global scale, because many of our challenges are the same in the fire service, whether it's in the U.S. or whether it's in New Zealand or Australia or, you know, if it's in Korea or Vietnam. And in some cases, you know, fire burns the same. Uh, we're seeing some of the same materials in a global market that hit all these locations. Uh, maybe some of the equipment is different and uh, current tactics may be different, but we feel that our research uh, is beneficial to, to all. So we really, you know, we want to live to our to our mission, which is creating a safe, safer living and working environment. And we wanted to do that globally with the fire service. So you mentioned globally, um, international. Are, are, how are we in the U.S. compared to some of these other nations? Are we good, bad, 
both in some cases on standards or maybe even overall enforcement of them? You know, I would say uh, in, compared to some areas of the world, we're in great shape, right? You can go to some areas of the world where uh, if they would just adopt an electrical code, they would be far greater, you know, far more advanced. But, uh, you know, I guess different areas of the world have different approaches approaches and different focuses. You may go to Europe and see more of a focus on com compartmentation and containing that fire. Whereas in the U.S., we really become reliant on the sprinkler systems and the performance of the sprinkler systems. Uh, but in many cases, we're very similar. And the standards are close, but there are some differences. And those are relative to what our maybe our, our focus is on or our priorities are on. But there's a lot that we can learn from each other. Uh, you know, we're learning stuff from Europe. We're learning stuff from Japan, from Australia and New Zealand and their approaches. And likewise, they're learning from us. And we're we're creating partnerships with research institutes and the fire service in those areas so we can feed back and forth on that information. That's awesome. And obviously, you can get a lot of data from some of these disasters that happen, these huge fires um, that we've seen. But obviously, to test it is also something that you're doing at UL, right? Like these full-scale tests. I mean, how are they? Are they exciting? I mean, are they actual like fires and people going in there? And, and can I come see one? <laughs> well, you know, John, there's there's a love of fire when you get into the fire service. And I've said it's a fine line between gainful employment and incarceration. So <laughs> I get paid to light fires all in the name of science. And uh, That's awesome. it's great. Uh, but I think the most exciting thing is the, the emerging technologies. Obviously, lithium-ion batteries, renewable energy is is a very hot topic, serve for the pun, but a very interesting topic. And not just here in the U.S., that is something that is global, that we are sharing our experiences uh, globally. And we're trying to learn from others uh, with the U.K., with Australia, especially down there as they as they focus more on these renewable energies. Uh, we, we have seen incidents here in the US, an incident in Arizona that resulted in the injuries to four firefighters in a response to a battery system. We actually, through the Firefighter Safety Research Institute, went and conducted an incident review, very similar to a NIOSH report, not blaming blame, identifying contributing factors, and then identifying some recommendations moving forward. Uh, but uh, like, I still work with the fire service, it seems almost daily, like the International Association of Firefighters, who I represented for over a decade in the code process. I still work with them almost daily. And one of the exciting things we have going now is we are in an agreement with the Department of Energy, really looking at residential energy storage systems and developing firefighter considerations, which will mean that we're going to have to go and, and burn. We're going to have to we're going to have to test. But we're seeing that in other emerging technologies, too. We have the capabilities to do that kind of testing in multiple locations and in multiple settings. And then the fire service is there to help us develop some of the considerations for their members as they respond to these emerging issues. So, I mean, I guess the impact of like post-construction wall systems are, are a thing that you're testing, the impact of firefighter response with all of these uh, different emerging technologies and batteries and things like that, that, you know, 
I, I think he even mentioned something about flammable refrigerants the other day. So, I mean, these, these new things that are just popping up, it's, it's cool, like you said, to be able to light them on fire and, and I guess see how they burn, explode, or, or whatever it might be, right? Are you checking my email box? Because you just named off some I'm recently working on. <laughs> no, I wasn't, but I, you know, I'm a good mind reader, though. Apparently, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, whatever's whatever's not like proprietary. Feel free to talk about any one of those things. But. Well, that's one of the things we're working with DOE on, right? There, uh, there's a. I don't want to say a disconnect, but you know, we have folks that are working in our codes that are really concentrating on the energy performance of buildings, which is very valuable, right? We don't want to waste energy if we don't have to. Energy is a precious commodity, especially uh, if we don't have to produce gas, you know, off-gassing, that's great. If we can extend the performance of that building, that's great. Uh, where does that energy performance meet fire safety? That's, that's one of the issues that we'll be discussing with DOE and actually looking at and testing some of these systems that are being installed uh, post-construction. So after the building's been occupied for a while, and we're focusing on the lower rise buildings, those under 40 feet, because over 40 feet, the facade has to be tested to NFPA 285. So, you know, the the question is, uh, can we meet energy performance and can we do it uh, fire safety wise? So, you know, we're, we're going to be working with DOE on that and the IFF. Um, we're, we're working with various industries that have maybe unique systems that don't involve the interaction of humans. And what happens if there's a fire within that system? How does the fire department respond? Uh, how does the fire department confirm extinguishment or uh, complete extinguishment within these systems? So we're actually working with one manufacturer to bring in some fire service experts that are dismantling these systems to try to figure out a way that we can maybe advise and train the fire service how to handle a fire in the system, which helps that manufacturer at the end of the day. Uh, and, it, and it certainly helps the fire service and it helps the building owner. So uh, that's the exciting thing uh, that we can do and that we're, we're really trying to bring folks together to find solutions. Right. And then and there's all different types of solutions for all different types of construction. Right. So, I mean, oh, there's seeing... never a silver bullet, right? Oh, right? One answer. So, I mean, one of the other things I know that you're involved in is like the mass timber construction and like cross laminated timber. I mean, some of those higher rise constructions using wood at this point. So what are some of those challenges that you're you're seeing there in in either construction and or testing or, you know, getting that whole thing going? Yeah, I think that really is a success story, uh, that issue. Uh, and that started back in the 2018 development of the building code when the American Wood Council was looking to uh, raise the height and area uh, allowances, excuse me, for mass timber. And I was representing the fire service at the time. I was on Cleveland and I just didn't think they were producing the technical data that would justify that. And so it was disapproved at the final action hearing, but the wood industry, the building industry, uh, building officials, for, we from the fire service all approached the ICC and asked them to appoint a committee to really look at this. And uh, they did. They established an ad hoc committee that had cross-representation of a number of industries and a number of uh, disciplines that were involved. 
And the group, Steve Giovanni from Las Vegas, actually uh, was our chair. And the group really worked hard together and identified some funding and we did some fire testing. And we also based some of our discussions on previous testing that was done by the National Research Council of Canada. And what we identified is there was a, a concern with the adhesive that was being being used in some of the CLT panels. And we were realizing early delamination that caused a secondary flash over in the room. So uh, while that standard wasn't within our purview, representatives from that standard, the PRG 320 standard, were involved in our discussion. And working together, uh, they identified some testing solutions that I think uh, really allowed our ad hoc committee to move forward in raising the heightened area allowances within the building code. Um, you know, it, it just shows the interest that was out there that all of these proposals, I think we'd had 14 proposals from our ad hoc committee, they all passed overwhelmingly because building officials were being pressured to, hey, approve this innovative development, right? We want to be on the cutting edge. A lot of the politicians want to be seen as that green politician, innovative technology, innovative buildings coming into their market. And we just needed a pathway to do it consistently. So if they're going to build it in Cleveland, which they are, they're just capped, I think, the ninth story in, in Ohio City, Cleveland, which is just across the river from downtown. Uh, or they're building it in Milwaukee, which is going to be 25 stories. Or if they're building it in Portland, uh, the standards or the codes that they're using will be consistent. So the fire department understands how they can deal with it and what they're going to deal with. So I think it was a real success story of how multiple interests came together and worked together to find solutions to a challenge that was facing us. And the fire stop industry is, I know, going to have to do research on this too. So you have a wood wall there. And uh, if it has one layer of gypsum board to meet a two hour required performance, will that fire stop system adhere to the wood? What happens if the wood pyrolyzes and uh, is consumed, you know, and will that system perform as designed? So there, you know, those are questions that I'm confident industry will We'll, we'll find solutions for. So are you involved in helping UL find Firestop industry system solutions for, for cross laminated timber or? No, I'm not. Work? Yeah, no, I'm not necessarily, you know, we've had discussions on it. We've had discussions with some clients, I think, and I, I don't know. I, I, so I, I don't want to classify anything, but, you know, if a client has done some internal research and they believe they have solutions and they want to come and get a listing, uh, certainly as UL always has, they they work with that client and, you know, make sure it's the right application, make sure it's the right test. And, um, you know, if it fails, that the client understands why it failed so they can go back to the drawing board and come back. So there are a lot smarter people than I that are working on those solutions. Uh, every now and then when it involves the fire service, I'll get called into a discussion and we'll, you know, we'll have that, you know, if there's a question from the fire service perspective. Yeah. Well, I, I do appreciate your perspective for sure, Sean. Uh, so, I, I mean, is there anything else that you'd like to promote as far as educational training, additional resources? I mean, we could put show links, uh, links to, you know, in the show notes, links out to some of these things, or do you have any upcoming webinars? I know you were, you said you've been doing some webinars lately. 
Yeah, we did a series of webinars that we worked with industry. Uh, Jimmy Stahl was involved in one of them. They're on our UL events page. Uh, what we did is we partnered with the various industries and the fire service, specifically the IAFF and also the International Association of Fire Chiefs, where each topic had a presentation from an industry representative, a UL representative, and a fire service representative. And then we had a panel discussion. And every one of them went over the 90 minutes we had scheduled because we had good participation. And I think they were valuable. Uh, we're hoping to have a second series in fall. We didn't want to do it over the summer, especially coming off lockdowns. Who wants to sit in the middle of July watching a two-hour webinar when it's uh, a beautiful day outside? So we're going to shoot for fall. And uh, yeah, we're going to be working to hopefully, hopefully, you know, ramp up some in-person uh, workshops where we do safety challenges of the future built environment. And we've held those in New York City, Milwaukee, Sacramento, and Tokyo. And we're hoping to get one this fall in Florida that we had scheduled for last year. So, you know, a lot of exciting things. Again, trying to work various groups together and in, in partnerships. We firmly believe that we learn from each other. And if it's one thing I learned in my involvement in the codes, is that regardless of the discipline, if you're involved in the process, 99 out of 100 times, we have a pretty common goal. We just have some differences of opinion on how to get there and what the solution is. But sitting down and having that discussion uh, really pays off. And I have learned a ton from like architects like Dave Collins and, you know, Dave and I sitting down, didn't have the most auspicious beginning in Cincinnati at that code hearing, but very a, a close friend now. And, uh, you know, I've learned a, a ton from him and I hope He's learned something from me from the fire service, and that goes along uh, many of the industries. Well, I'm sure he's learned a lot because I know I sure have. So that's awesome, Sean. Yeah. Again, uh, we'll put those links in the show notes so you can go check those webinars out, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll be looking at you on LinkedIn. I'll stay out of your inbox, so uh, you'll just <laughs> you'll just have to forward me anything you might uh, want me to know about from now on. I'm done reading your mind now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a short read, John. It's a short read, so don't worry about it. I doubt it. No, you, uh, you're awesome, Sean. Thanks so much. So uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. We realize that there are a lot of podcasts out there, and you chose to listen to this one, so thanks again. Uh, be sure to check out those show notes for links. And finally, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe or follow so that you don't miss an episode. And please rate us, review us, like us, tell a friend about us, because remember, friends don't let friends not know about awesome podcasts like this one. So until next time, this is The Burn. Thanks again, Sean. Take care. Thanks, John.